Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, welcome to Israel and You, and this is Aaron David Free, your host. Got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking this week and next week about the fall feasts of Israel, God's prophetic time calendar. Are they actually God's prophetic time calendar for our world? Should we investigate the Feast of Israel? You can follow us on Apple Music, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or AFR.net. This program is podcast as well as being on radio. Our website is IsraelTeam.org. You can follow us on Facebook at Israel Team Advocates. Our organization, Israel Team Advocates International, what we do is we advocate for the Jewish people and Israel on evangelical college campuses where we're seeing a huge decline in support of Israel and anti-Judaism and anti-Semitism that's spreading across our evangelical world. And so that is our mission to advocate for the truth about the Jewish people and Israel. Our next event is coming up October 21st, 2021, a night to honor the Jewish people. It'll be at Fraser United Methodist Church at 7 p.m. in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, one of our board members, Coach Bruce Pearl from Auburn University, the basketball men's head basketball coach there will be the keynote speaker. So if you live in that region, uh, we encourage you to come and be with us October 21st for a night to honor the Jewish people at Fraser United Methodist Church. Coach Bruce Pearl will be in the house. And so if you're an Alabama fan or Ole Miss fan or a uh, Georgia Tech fan, you're welcome to come. It's not just Auburn fans. All basketball, football fans are welcome. So today we're going to talk about the fall feasts of Israel, the high holy days. And first I want to look at why we don't investigate these feasts. Well, it all started probably around 300 AD at the Council of Nicaea. Uh, it's where the Apostles' Creed was formed, but part of that council was very anti-Judaic, very anti Uh, Jewish, anti-Semitic, and of course, Constantine desired to erase everything Jewish out of the church world. And so that council really held people responsible who were practicing the feasts, even practicing uh, Saturday worship. Uh, They were to be excommunicated from the church should they practice anything Jewish in their homes. Well, that spread, and there was a a heretic in the uh, Middle Ages, his name was Marcion, and he believed that we should unhitch from all the Old Testament scriptures, that the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament, and we should reject all uh, Jewish values, Jewish principles from the scripture. Well, that cancer is still metastasizing in our world today. One prominent evangelical pastor in Atlanta recently came out and said, it's time that we unhitch 
from all of the Jewish values, Jewish principles of the Old Testament. We no longer have to practice the commandments of the Old Testament. Those are Jewish commandments, and we are freed from all Jewish values, Jewish principles in our Christian walk. So Marsonianism, that heresy of rejecting the principles of uh, the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, is still moving on today. What happened on May 6, 1939, there's a fascinating new book. It's called The Aryan Jesus, Christian Theologians and the Bible in Nazi Germany, uh, authored by Susanna Heschel, the daughter of the great uh, Jewish rabbi, Abraham Joshua Heschel. She wrote this book investigating what took place on May 6, 1939 at Wartburg Castle in Germany. There was a group of Protestant theologians, pastors, and church leaders. They met to celebrate the official opening of, listen to this, the Institute for the Study and Eradication of Jewish Influence in German Church Life. It was a full-scale erasing of Jewishness uh, of the Jewishness of Jesus in an attempt to make him an Aryan. They came to the belief that Jesus was actually born in Germany and he wasn't Jewish. And um, here's what uh, Suzanne says in her book. One of the leaders of this movement, this Institute for the Study and Eradication of Jewish Influence in Germany, here's what this gentleman says. The Institute built itself on the premise of institutionalizing within the church what had become a legitimate part of theological discussion, that Jesus was not a Jew, but an opponent of Judaism, and that the Old Testament was a Jewish book that had to no place in the Christian Bible. It was creating a Christianity appropriate for Nazis as Grunman declared, this was the leader of this institute, Walter Grunman, our Volk, which stands in a struggle above all else against the satanic powers of world Jewry for the order and life of this world, dismisses Jesus because it cannot struggle against the Jews and open its heart to the king of the Jews. The conflict was clear. Jesus had to be drained of Jewishness if the German fight against the Jews was to be successful. And so events like this, this institute for the study and eradication of Jewish influence on German life, was a full-scale erasing of the Jewishness of Jesus in an attempt to make him an Aryan, a German. And so this continues, and the influence of this institute still is having an effect on theologians on our world today. These theologians begged the Nazi party for the permission to place the swastika on their pulpits as they preached uh, the gospel. And so it's had a profound and lasting effect on our world today. Interesting, about 10 years ago, Time Magazine came out with a, a piece and it was entitled, 10 Ideas That Are Changing the World. And the 10th idea was that Jesus is Jewish. Think about that. It's an idea that's changing the world, but it's, it's a truth that has long been forgotten, that Jesus was born a Jew. He was raised in a Jewish family. He ate Jewish food. Uh, he probably told some humorous Jewish stories. He studied the Jewish scriptures in a Jewish context. He attended the synagogues on Saturday, and he is returning as the lion of the tribe 
of Judah. But everything about Jesus in the Protestant world today, most of the time, we have made him into something other than a Jew. We've de-Judaized Jesus. I remember growing up in Sunday school, seeing a picture of Jesus on the Sunday school wall, and he looked nothing like a Jew. He looked almost Swedish. He had blue eyes and blonde hair. He looked like a California surfer. And we've de-Judaized Jesus. But remember, Jesus, all through the New Testament scriptures, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. He was born according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. He died according to the scriptures. And he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. And so now we come into the fall feasts of Israel. And there's four Feast in the spring and three in the fall. And so built into Israel's calendar throughout the year are these seven feasts of Israel. In the spring, the Jewish people celebrate Passover. It's the commemoration of the exodus out of Egypt. The death angel passed over uh, the, the Jewish homes because they painted the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Uh, the next feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread where the Jewish people purge their house from, from leaven, which is an example or a picture, metaphor of sin. And then there's the Feast of First Fruits. First Fruits of Harvest were brought to the temple in, in a wave offering before the Lord. And then the fourth spring feast is the, the Feast of Shavuot or Pentecost, where there's two loaves of bread that are brought as an offering to the Lord 50 days after Passover. And then the fall... Jewish people, they celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, then Yom Kippur, the, uh, the, the Feast of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. So why is it that, for the most part, Christians do not practice these feasts of Israel during our time? Well, as I said earlier, the Council of Nicaea did everything they could to erase everything Jewish. Uh, then in the Middle Ages, uh, Marsonian came along and said, we've got to unhitch from the Old Testament. We go back just 70, 80 years ago in Nazi Germany, where Protestant theologians, and these were prominent Protestant theologians, there were hundreds and hundreds of these theologians in this institute to eradicate Jewishness from German Christian life. Those theologians after the war, some of them were put in prison because they'd become Nazis. But for the most part, they went on to fulfill you know, wonderful careers as, as writers, as theologians in either uh, Germany or in East uh, Berlin when the Soviet Union came in. These, these men and women went on to be very prominent. One prominent German th theologian, his name was Gerard Kittel. His books are still used in um, theologi theological seminaries today. And his book is called Kittle's Works of the New Testament. It's an eight-volume set. Kittle had a problem. He was an anti-Semite. And in 1933, he wrote a book, The Answer to Our Jewish Question. And he had three solutions for the Jews. The first was extermination. Nobody seemed to, bo to, to bother or even get upset about a German evangelical theologian calling for the extermination of the Jewish population in Germany. His final solution was forced expulsion. He also said we could 
just take away all of their goods and their wealth and give them guest status within Germany. So this raging anti-Semite, his works, his theology still prominent in our world today. So Paul the Apostle seems to indicate that Gentile Christians from the nations are not necessarily mandated to practice the seven feasts. However, there is rich meaning in the feasts of Israel for Christians. Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Paul the Apostle says, So let no one judge you to food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the reality is found in Christ. So Paul's saying, look, we can look at these feasts. You know, these feasts are the feast of Israel. The nations are not mandated to practice the seven feasts of Israel. But there is rich meaning, Paul says, the reality is found in Christ of the feast. So if the reality of all seven feasts of the Lord is found in Christ, then we should study them to find the reality of Christ. So how do the feasts of the Lord point to Jesus? Amazingly, each of the seven feasts point to the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. For example, Passover, the first of the spring feast. The blood of the lamb is painted over the doorpost of the house. The death angel passes over when he sees the blood. The lamb uh, was for the provision of the Jewish people during their flight out of Egypt. Did Jesus fulfill the Passover feast? Yes. Isaiah 53 is the man of sorrows. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul said that Jesus is our Passover lamb. When was Jesus crucified? Well, the lamb, the Passover lamb, was uh, first led through the eastern gate, was taken immediately to the temple where he was examined for four days. At 9 o'clock a.m. on Passover morning, the lamb was tied to the altar. And then at 3 o'clock p.m., the lamb was slain as the high priest shouted for all Israel to hear, It is finished. And what happened on Passover? Well, Jesus, he was led through the eastern gate of the temple, uh, the triumphal entry. He went straight to the temple where he was examined by the chief priest for four days. At nine o'clock in the morning on Passover morning, Jesus was nailed to the cross by the Romans. And then at three o'clock in the afternoon, he gave up his spirit and shouted, uh, it is finished. So Jesus was crucified by the Romans on the very day of Passover. The second spring feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can bear no fruit. When was Jesus buried? During the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The third spring feast is the Feast of First Fruits. First Fruits of an Early Harvest points to the resurrection. What day was Jesus resurrected? On the Feast of First Fruits. And we'll come back to this after the break, but keep in mind, Jesus fulfills all of the uh, spring feasts. And we'll catch you on the other side as we talk about the feasts of Israel and their significance for our lives today.
Hello, I'm Aaron Free, and I'm honored to serve as president of Israel Team Advocates International. Israel Team is a unique nonprofit organization that is changing the growing narrative within the Christian world that the Jewish people are illegally occupying the land of Israel. The truth is that God, the God of the Bible, identifies himself as the God of Israel, and Jerusalem is his footstool. God has given this land to the Jewish people as an eternal possession. Within the evangelical community's millennial generation and Generation Z, there is an alarming decline of support for Israel. Presently, about 70% of young evangelicals are unsure of Israel's right of their very existence. If this trend continues, we are going to see a majority anti-Israel evangelical movement within 10 years. Imagine future Christian leaders in America calling for the removal of Jews from the Holy Land. Israel team cares deeply about the future of American Christianity and is investing in the young Christian leaders of tomorrow. We work on Christian college campuses and church youth and college groups to make a difference for Israel and the church as well. We mentor pastors and church leaders and counteract the growing trend of replacement theology being proclaimed from churches across America. I'm asking you today to help us in this noble cause. We can change the current trend of of anti-Israelism, one church and one college campus at a time. You can go to our website at israelteam.org to donate today and stand with us today. We ask you that you consider giving to Israel Team on a monthly basis. In the present exponential rise of anti-Semitism in America, our efforts must double to push back against this darkness. For your gift this month to Israel Team, we want to send you our new book, The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism and what can be done to stop it. Go to israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back to Israel and You. We're looking today at the Feast of Israel. We saw in the first segment that Jesus fulfilled the, the first four spring feasts on the very day. He was crucified on Passover. He was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He was raised on the Feast of First Fruits. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus fulfilled the first three feasts of the Lord on the exact day. The fourth spring feast is Pentecost or Shavuot. What happened on the Feast of Pentecost? The Bible says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the day was in full progress, and there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind, and the church was born 50 days after Passover. So think about that. If the Lord Jesus fulfilled the four spring feasts on the very day, could it be that these feasts speak of God's prophetic time calendar? I absolutely believe this. And here's the question. If Jesus fulfilled the first four spring feasts of the Lord on the very day, is it possible that he will fulfill the three fall feasts on the very day as well? To me, it stands to reason, I'm a logical person, that he will fulfill them exactly on time. Am I saying that the three fall feasts are yet to be fulfilled prophetically? I'm saying 
uh, that it well may be that because if Paul the Apostle says that the reality of the feasts are found in Jesus and Jesus fulfilled the spring feast prophetically on the exact day, then he most likely, in my opinion, will fulfill the three fall feasts prophetically on the same day. How do I see the fulfillment of the three feasts being played out in their future prophetic fulfillment? Well, the feasts this year were involved in them right now. The Feasts of Israel 2021, the Feast of Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets, is September 6th through 8th, 2021. And after the Feast of Rosh Hashanah, we move into the 10 Days of Awe. These are 10 days of repentance prior to the second fall feast, which is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is September 15 through 16. And then the the final fall feast is the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, which is September 20 through 27. So let's look at the Feast of Trumpets and see how it points to the futuristic uh, return of the Messiah. In the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so that should be the prayer of every saint today. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Uh, the Lord reigning in our lives. And the Feast of Trumpets is really in the present saying, Lord, thy kingdom come to my, my life, my family, my workplace, my church. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets is a day of solemn repentance and renewal. The feast marks the head of the year, uh, the New Year celebration for, for Israel and the Jewish people. Listen to the different definitions of the Feast of Trumpets coming from ancient Judaism. It's known, listen, as the day of new beginnings. It's the day of renewal. It's the day of the coronation of Messiah. It's the day of the opening of the gates to the king. Think about that. It's the day of the resurrection of the dead. It's the day of the wedding ceremony. It's the feast of the last trumpet. Are any of these things just like clicking in your heart right now? All these truths that we've learned that Jesus is returning on the last trumpet, Paul says, it's the feast in which no one knows the day or the hour. This is from ancient Judaism. The feast of the awakening blast, the time of Jacob's trouble or the day of the birth pangs of the Messiah, the day of the resurrection of the dead, the feast of the last trumpet. On uh, the Feast of Trumpets, 100 shofars, trumpets, are sounded during this feast. The first trumpet that we see in the scripture, the law of first mention, is when Isaac was being prepared to be sacrificed by his father Abraham. And the Lord said, don't lay a hand on the boy. And there was a, a ram caught in a thicket. What, what caught the ram was his uh, ram's horn. Uh, in the thicket. And so that was the first trumpet. And then in between, we have the giving of the law. There was a blowing of the trumpet. In the Jubilee celebration, there was a blowing of the trumpet. In the battle of Jericho, there was a shout and the blowing of the trumpet. When the watchmen were watching for an approaching army as they stood on the wall of a city, they sounded an alarm with the trumpet. So it's a trumpet that ushers in the great day of the Lord. Joel 2.1 says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm, the day of the Lord is at hand. So in the present, the Feast of Trumpets marks a day of awakening out of our slumber. Paul said, now is the time to wake out of your slumber. Put on the armor of light, put on Christ. 
a day of pledging our allegiance to the king for the coming year. Psalm 24, 7 says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, O ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. So the Feast of Trumpets looks towards the Messiah's reign on earth. And it's a time to prepare our hearts for the reign of the king. And how appropriate that is in our day when there's so much world chaos, we cannot remember, and I'm sorry, we cannot forget that one day the kingdoms of our Lord will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. The kingdoms of this world, I'm sorry, will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. There's a beautiful Psalm, Psalm 47, which talks about the reign of Messiah. And I think we should get this scripture in our hearts today as we celebrate the Feast of Trumpets and examine the, the rich meaning of Christ in this feast. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the people under us and the nations under his feet, our feet. He will uh, choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. And keep that in mind as we celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. God reigns over the nation. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together. The people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. So during these days of chaos and world pandemic, and so many concerns of what's happening in our world, it's a great reminder that God reigns over the nations of the earth. He's gone up with a shout, and he's in control of our world today. So how is the Feast of Trumpets related to the coming of the Lord? Well, <clears throat> all Jewish holidays fall on a full moon of the month, except one the Feast of Trumpets. This holiday occurs on the first of the months. The Jews knew, and this is before science or technology knew this, the Jewish people knew there was two days, a window of two days of the sighting of the new moon. So there'd be two witnesses that would be on mountaintops looking for the first sliver of a new moon. And so people would go to the, the high priest and ask, what day is the Feast of Trumpets? And the high priest would say, no man knows the day or the hour. Why? Because he was waiting for the two witnesses to come and tell him when the new moon had appeared. So when Jesus said and talked about his return in Matthew twenty four thirty six, and said, no man knows the day or the hour, was he referring to Rosh Hashanah? Well, every Jew who had heard Jesus thought so. And the, the language of the Feast of Trumpets is filled with, with marriage language. It's known as the day of the wedding ceremony, the day of the bridegroom being betrothed uh, to the bride. And when a uh, bridegroom would be betrothed, he would go away for a while, but before he left, he would say to the bride, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. In my father's house 
are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So the bridegroom would go to his father's house and prepare a wedding chamber for the bride. And remember the parable of the ten virgins. Five were wise and five were foolish. But they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And suddenly the shofar would sound, the trumpet would blast, and they would proclaim, the bridegroom is here. And the bride's family would shout, Baruch Atah Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The bridegroom would take the bride away to the wedding chamber. There would be a wedding supper. And so Paul the Apostle says that Jesus is coming at the last trumpet. Am I proclaiming that Jesus is precisely coming on the Feast of Trumpets? I'm, I, I can't proclaim that, you know, factually, theologically. It's just my opinion that if the first four fall feasts, uh, spring feasts were fulfilled on the very day, wouldn't it be interesting if if these are actually on God's prophetic time calendar, that the Lord will fulfill these in the very day as well. So next week we'll talk about the Feast of Yom Kippur, and we'll see you on the other side. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.